Hey everybody, it's Talking Jake here, and I want to tell you about a new podcast and video series you're not going to want to miss, The Deal. Every week, A-Rod and Bloomberg reporter Jason Kelly speak with big-time athletes, entertainers, executives, Maria Sharapova, Strahan, Jeter, and more. The Deal takes you behind the scenes into those worlds of sports, media, and entertainment. From Bloomberg Podcasts and Bloomberg Originals, you can listen to The Deal on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everybody, welcome into episode number 108 of Tone the Slab Pitching with David Cohn. It is a pitching podcast. We talk pitching each and every week. We do it with David Cohn, the five-time World Series champ, the former Cy Young Award winner, the ace of research, James Smythe, myself, Justin Shackle, our wonderful producer, Dan Rourke, is with us as well. I guess we have to warn everybody right at the gate. Quick apology. David and I, were on the road. I'm working off an iPad. David, as a result of being a good Samaritan, is working off his cell phone. Coney, what do you what do you have to say about that here? I'm saying I'm a little run down at the end of the year here. I guess I'm getting a little absent-minded. So, but certainly I left my uh, left my iPad at the, the screening at LaGuardia Airport. So I'm hoping to call us and found to get it back today. But nonetheless, yes, we're in a hotel room uh, on a phone, and you know we apologize for the quality. But I'll speak up and see if we can get we can get this through. I'm confident that you're going to get that baby back. I I I just feel it. I know it. And a big episode, guys. 108 stitches on a baseball, 108 episodes of Tone Slap. Look at you, James. Right on top of things, because we just had to get a reminder from Dan Work moments ago. What episode number was this? Yes, <laughs> episode number 108 of Tone the Slab here. And yes, to uh, add a plus one to, to James's thoughts with uh, tracking devices, I think I have faith in Dave getting his, his iPad back. All right, let's dive into this episode. Lots to do. Less than a week to go. Uh, in the regular season, some division uh, races, really pretty much uh, all but one, have wrapped up here. Uh, the Brewers clinching on, on Tuesday night, wild card races, the last couple of spots winding down. So lots to get into as we take a peek toward the postseason, the final weekend of what could be some chaos here. And uh, but let's start off with the opener, because I tell you what, uh, we, we were about to get on the air for the Yankees broadcast in Toronto on Tuesday night and I never saw that this gentleman play but growing up I really do feel like my error of of adolescence James could kind of speak to this too I feel like then more than now you always heard more about the all-time greats you were always being taught more about the all-time greats on various front-facing platforms I don't know if we get that necessarily in this day and age and a player I never saw play with my own eyes but grew to appreciate that was brooks robinson he unfortunately passed away on tuesday david what do you have to say about the legend of, of brooks robinson uh, a player that i'm sure you watched growing up as we kick it off here with the opener yeah one of my dad's favorites you know because the orioles were such a good team and he was such a great player and came through in big spots i think if you 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 probably heard about uh, some of his, his exploits in the World Series, those uh, those great plays that he made that are on the highlight reels that that you see over and over again. He really was that good, the best defensive third baseman of all time. I don't think it's even close. I don't think anybody really even argues about it. Uh, obviously, we have advanced metrics nowadays that, that that give us a little more information on the defensive side of things, but uh, I'm sure he would have been great no matter what kind of metrics you used. Uh, but not only that, it wasn't just that he was a great third baseman and a clutch hitter. He almost had 3,000 hits, too. I think he fell, fell short by less than 200 hits to, to get to 3,000. 
but he was a humanitarian as well. I think off the field is where I really came to know him even better with the baseball assistance team and seeing the, the, the annual dinner that they used to have every year in Manhattan and his efforts to help anybody in the baseball family. And his own problems off the field, too, is that uh, he, he had a string of bad investments that led him to, to some financial trouble. And then he was so beloved that everybody in, in the Baltimore area stepped up and helped him as well. So the, the, the stories of Brooks Robinson just aren't about what a great third baseman he was. It was what a great humanitarian he was and how beloved he was in that community and how many people he helped in the baseball community as well. And baseball assistance team helps everybody in the baseball family. You know, whether you were an usher at a stadium or whether you were a former coach or a former player or a Hall of Famer that's fallen on hard times. You know, that's that's the kind of organization that the bat team is and the baseball assistant team is. And he was a big part of that as well. Everything you've heard and over the years and especially yesterday and today is about what a great person he was, in addition to what a, a great player he was. And, Coney, you mentioned some of the, the defensive stats. Well, I mean, you talk about. Robbie with 16 gold gloves and 23 seasons all with the Orioles. And, you know, even as primitive as some of the defensive stats can be looking back in those days, fielding runs, which is the component of war that just covers all defense. He's number one all time. So they're doing something right. And <laughs> so even back then they, they nailed it there with Brooks Robinson, uh, one of the greatest third basemen all around whoever played and hands down, the best defender, and uh, it's a sad day, especially with the Orioles having this great season and being one of the great stories of the 2023 MLB year and to have this happen right before the playoffs start. It's it's a, it's a sad day for the Orioles and, and for baseball. And Brooks Robinson passes away at the, the age of 86. Again, if you're listening here and you're not familiar with the player that Brooks Robinson was, that's what YouTube is for. Uh, that's what Google is for in these days. So, so please – Go check it out. You're going to have your mind blown at some of the plays he was able to make uh, at the hot corner. Again, uh, pound for pound, best third baseman defensively in the history of this game. So we send our, our thoughts to the Robinson family, the Orioles family as well. All right, guys. Final week of the regular season going down. About five or six more games left to go. Uh, five games. There's there's no uh, secret in that. Season ends Sunday. Um, hard finish. Uh, let's talk about the Braves here. 101 victories as it stands right now at the time we're recording this. They're in line to get home field throughout, top seed in the National League, but a little adversity here for the Atlanta Braves. Over the last week, they've placed two starting pitchers on the injury list. Max Freed with a blister on his index finger, Charlie Morton with index finger inflammation. Someone cut off their index finger. Give it to the Braves pitchers here. Uh, if, they, if they start the playoffs today, they have a rotation of Strider, Elder, and Kyle Wright is that enough scale of one to ten fellas how compromised is the Braves pitching staff right now uh the this is a big deal you know they they obviously have one of the great offenses we've seen probably in modern history in, in terms of power their, their their power numbers offensively are just ridiculous so they're gonna have to bash their way through some of this these problems but nonetheless um you know, if, if Charlie Morton and, and Max Reed are compromised, that that really is a huge blow to them. The other guys that you mentioned that would take their spots are not power guys. They're guys that put the ball in play that anything can happen in, in a one game uh, scenario. Uh, that That's the beauty of having 
somebody like Spencer Strider or Charlie Borden or even Max Fried that can miss bats, that can get big strikeouts, that can take the ball out of play in big games when you need it, when you get into a jam. I think that's a big deal. So, yes, uh, the Braves are vulnerable. There's no two ways about it. Here's why I wouldn't press the panic button as much. Morton is out for the NLDS at least. Freed, it seems to be a little less serious where he would still be available to pitch game one or game two of the NLDS because of when they placed him on the IL. So once that 15 days is up, he could come back on the 7th or the 9th. And, and another little silver lining for the Braves here. This year, the National League Division Series, unlike the American League, is staggered in the, first, in the, in the DS round. So game one is the 7th, off day with no travel, and then a game on the ninth, and then an off day to travel, and then you go on to three, four, and five. So the Braves could only need three starters. So you could go Strider, give Freed an extra couple of days, start him in game two, and then you could bring back Strider for game four and Freed on game five on regular rest, and maybe you try to patch it through in a game three with Bryce Elder. So as long as Freed can come back in, in that opening round for them, I think they're just going to be A-OK. Yeah, I think, you know, a scenario like that's not the end of the world, just not what they, they could have had in these situations. So these injuries hitting them at probably, a, a, you know, most inopportune time. Uh, Charlie Morton, we keep seeing it every single October. No matter what team he's on, he rises to the occasion. So I do think that's a big loss. If I have to put a number on it, I would actually say it's probably between, you know, I'm going to be a hard grader, but I, I would actually say it's between a, a six and a half and a seven right now on a scale of one to ten. So this is a big issue for the Braves um, they're gonna literally have to count the days like you were mentioning James like really maneuver with the calendar here and if you're at that point uh, I think that illustrates how big of a problem it is for for the Braves here so on the surface yeah looking good they're probably gonna get that top seed in the National League home field throughout but this is a adversity at a really bad time for this Atlanta ball club here uh, speaking of the National League picture as we move toward the end of the season. And one of these Braves pitchers, I think, is right in the mix for the Cy Young Award. Talk about the NL Cy Young Award. We spent time on the AL Cy Young Award an episode or two ago. How tight is this Cy Young race here? How tight do you think it's going to end up being when it comes down to voting time? I think it's going to be tighter than you think. You know, everybody uh, looks at what Blake Snell has done recently you know, over his last several starts, and he really has been lights out. But there are some, to me, there are some old school voters, mean, meaning older voters, who will ding him for innings pitched. Uh, for somebody who rarely even pitches into the sixth inning. Uh, somebody who's not even in the top ten in innings pitched as we speak today. Now he's going to pitch more. Uh, he's going to have an, an, another start. So that, that may propel him into the top ten in innings pitched. But nonetheless... Uh, there's some people that will look at that and say, you know what, I, I'm going to have a hard time voting for a guy that, that rarely pitches into the sixth inning. So innings are a big deal. Spencer Strider's heading towards 300 strikeouts, even though he's had a few blow-up starts. I think it might be closer than you think right now, although I still think Blake Snell, because of his low-earned run average and his run prevention numbers, are, is probably still the front runner. But I think it's closer than you think because of innings pitched. Nothing personal against Blake Snell, but I did say a couple of weeks ago that I, I was actually kind of hoping somebody else would vault forward just to, to snatch it away. It, it's something irksome about a guy leading the league in walks to win 
the Cy Young. But I, I, I have to hand it to him because since we did that whole discussion, his two starts since then, seven hitless innings against the Rockies, and then he goes into San Francisco, six more shutout innings. So he's really sticking it in my face. And even though the innings count is lower than someone, say, like uh, Logan Webb, who I would love to see to, uh, to, to make a push here. Now, Webb, 216 innings with a 3.25 ERA. Snell, he actually gave some innings this year. This is only the second time in his career that he's going more than 130 innings in a year, and it might end up being his second Cy Young campaign. He has 180 right now, which is good enough for 10th in the National League. So even though he's 36 innings behind Logan Webb, his ERA is a full run lower. So you always get into that quantity versus quality. How much how much better does his ERA have to be in order to make up for the lack of innings? And I think that it's enough to get him over the line this time. Yeah, I'm I'm not going to be able to get off the fact that he leads, leads everyone in walks. <laughs> I, I, I can't do it. Um, I, you know, if, if he comes out with another shutout performance to close out his season, I don't, I still don't know if that'll persuade me to, to kind of move my mind off of that. It's, it's really tough. And you, you were talking about the old school voters talking about the lack of innings or, you know, he's right at 180 innings, not terrible in this day and age, but I don't know, man, it's that walk total. That's really bothering me. And then I look like a guy like like Spencer Strider. You mentioned the high strikeouts here. I may give the vote for Strider if I had one. I'm probably more comfortable with the higher ERA than Snell leading the league in walks. So I tip my cap to Snell. Like, like you mentioned, James, he's bringing it at the right time, throwing shutout performances. And, uh, you know, maybe he has another one in him. And he very well may come away with this award. But that walk total is just sticking out to me. I, I can't associate that with the Cy Young Award. So um, all impressive, but yeah, I'm going to have to give my vote elsewhere at this moment. I do think it's going to be a tight race here. More Tone the Slab is coming up. People, I need to tell you about a special offer from DraftKings because the NFL season is officially here. We've partnered with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official partner of the National Football League to bring all new customers an exciting way to join in on the action right now. New customers, download the DraftKings app, use the promo code SLAB, S-L-A-B, fetches five bucks, and boom, $200 in bonus bets hit your account instantly. That's right, new customers who bet only $5 will get $200 in bonus bets instantly. Staying on the action, use your $200 in bonus bets on DraftKings parlays, combine multiple bets together for a shot at an even bigger payout. If sports betting is not yet available in your state, don't worry. You can still get another fun with DraftKings Daily Fantasy, where they offer cash prize contests for nearly every sport. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. New customers use the promo code SLAB. Again, S-L-A-B. Betches five bucks on any wager and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. That's promo code SLAB only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Speaking of superior pitching, I think there's a team that we haven't discussed a whole lot of and I don't think has garnered enough attention around the sport, mainly because they were in a weak division in the AL Central. I don't think that's perception. I think those are facts because the Minnesota Twins, they came away with the division in the AL Central and they clinched the division over the last week. They're the number three seed here at the moment. They'd host the final wild card in 
the uh, start of the playoffs here. Best of three, obviously. They're top three. I mean, Sonny Gray's going to be a Cy Young finalist. Pablo Lopez is right up there among the league's strikeout leaders. You have Joe Ryan, who can pile up strikeouts as well. And then at the same time, it seems like they're getting their best version of their bullpen in order. They just brought back Chris Paddock and um, and Brock Stewart the other night. So their bullpen is in really good shape. Are we, as a sport, not giving enough attention, enough respect to the Minnesota Twins as we enter the postseason here? In short, I say yes, you're right. It's a great topic. And we're, you know, we're a pitching podcast, right? So yeah, how can we not love the the, the Minnesota Twins pitching staff? When you think about, you know, one of the old old uh, one of the trades in the offseason, you, you hope both sides win. If you're if you're a fan of both fan bases, you when you make a big trade like a Luisa Rice or a Pablo Lopez trade, uh, you you kind of hope it works out for both teams, and it kind of has, really. I mean, Pablo Lopez is great. Uh, a guy who's really taken it to another step in, in terms of his off-season training, another driveline guy that's improved his velocity and his strikeout numbers are up. You think about Sonny Gray, former Yankee, the one that got away, couldn't get a gun, couldn't get a, couldn't get it going here. Was looking for more information back in the Larry Rothschild era. Uh, felt frustrated by it all and really has taken off. Uh, you, you start those three; those 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 are formidable. And, and and Ryan too. You mentioned Joe Ryan is one of those invisible guys, the four seamer that just seems to ride and 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 uh, gets a lot of swings underneath this fastball. They can't seem to catch up to it. They're late. They foul it off. They pop it up. So yeah, uh, those top three starters are as good as anybody really when when you collectively add them up. So are we giving? Yeah, the, the answer to your question is no. We're not. We're not giving them enough credit, enough love. Everybody's worried about their all their one loss record overall. They. They're playing a weaker division. Maybe they're 10 games or so around there, over 500, but playing much better lately. Uh, they they haven't had the best version of Carlos Correa offensively this year. He's been been on the IL hurt recently with plantar you know, fasciitis. So if he can get back and get enough offense, as you said, their bullpen's fortified. You know, yes, they should get more attention. They are a sleeper pick, you know, and we can say it right here. Yeah, I'm on board. I'm I'm. I'm buying on the Minnesota Twins because of their pitching staff. I get why they're being overlooked between the division they play in. They've had their feet up since early August, and they're just coasting along to the three seed, and people are just going to not think of them anymore. And the Twins, no offense to the guys who are on the team right now, but they have a stigma of postseason disappointment, to put it lightly. So the Minnesota Twins have not won a playoff game since 2004. They've lost 18 straight playoff games, which not only is the longest losing streak in MLB postseason history, it is the longest losing streak in the history of the four major sports, MLB, NFL, NBA, NHL. No one has lost more consecutive postseason games than the Minnesota Twins coming into October this year. And But as far as their pitching goes, you're going to go into a best-of-three series at home against a, a formidable opponent, whether it's the Blue Jays or the Mariners the, or the Rangers or the Astros. And you're going to be throwing Pablo Lopez, Sonny Gray, and maybe Joe Ryan. Ryan had a little bit of a step back um, in, in recent months, but he looked really good in his last start with uh, six innings of, of three-run ball but with no walks and 10 strikeouts. And another guy that we've all kind of slept on all year, Bailey Ober, having a terrific year, and Kenta Maeda having a, a good a little return from the injured list. So 
they have a really good rotation and their bullpen will get deeper when, you know, some of the, whoever doesn't start can go in the pen. Chris Paddock coming back, like you said, Shaq, Yoan Duran, uh, a filthy, filthy closer. So you get them in a short series, they could be more dangerous. And, and if they get out of the wild card round, I know they have to win a game first. They can really make some noise in a best of five series because their pitching rotation is a little deeper. I think the weak division is kind of played in their hand here down the stretch because them kind of coasting, winning the division, it's kind of allowed them to flexibly adjust their pitching staff and align it perfectly exactly the way they want heading into the postseason. Not many teams are afforded that luxury here. And you mentioned some of the other arms, the Maedas, uh, you know, Chris Paddock coming back, Louis Varlin. Those are flex guys. Those are both guys that can carry the innings in case of a guy like Joe Ryan falters at the outset. So at the very minimum, I'm going to say that the Twins win their first playoff game since 2004 this October. But uh, yeah, I don't think we're giving them enough love. I don't think we're giving them enough attention. And they may surprise some teams and some eyes around the sport in about a week's time here. So it's uh, it's interesting time for those uh, for those fans in Minnesota, the Homer Hankies. I think they're going to be rocking over at Target Field come wild card round. All right, guys. One other team that they could potentially be facing in that opening round. That's the Toronto Blue Jays. Currently with the second wild card, but their margin for error is very slim. Astros and Mariners breathing down their backs here. Um, they they were playing really good baseball. They still are. Uh, they've won seven of ten at the time of recording this. They've won series against the Yankees, the Red Sox, and the Rays since they were swept by the Rangers at home. But they they wasted a great start on Tuesday night by Kevin Gosman. They were shut out by the Yankees. Feels like they're playing good baseball. You talk around uh, the team, people that are close to the Jays here, felt like they have these tempered expectations as they go into the playoffs. That yeah, we're playing well. And we're doing the correct things at the right time. But that offense, it doesn't seem like it's uh, been too promising for those who are close to the team here. Is this Blue Jays offense, and it's surprising to say this based on where we were at the start of the season, could it potentially waste a great season of starting pitching in Toronto? They have four starters with at least 162 innings under their belt. Yeah, they have a similar problem, I think, offensively that the Yankees uh, have had in recent history and that they are a little too right-handed dominant batting-wise. And they are susceptible to power right-handed pitchers. And that's where, where Michael King comes into play. Think about Michael King's last two outings versus the Blue Jays and the way he has sh completely shut them down to match up with Kevin Gosman. And, and a lot of strikeouts, too, for Michael King. And that just shows you that a good right-handed power pitcher can get into a groove, especially at the top of their order. When you think about Springer, Bichette, and Vladimir Guerrero Jr., all really good hitters, but all right-handed and susceptible to breaking balls, uh, especially power ones, uh, that's a bit of a problem for them. The lack of balance in their, in their lineup has kind of come back to haunt them a bit and uh, left them – vulnerable to really good right-handed starting pitching so yes it, it is a problem it has been all year I still think they get in I think Springer's playing much better as of late as a leadoff hitter Bichette's back and he looks healthy and Vladimir Guerrero's starting to hit home runs again so I still like them uh, overall but I do think their their Achilles heel is uh, is lack of diversity in their lineup they are wasting a very surprisingly fantastic season out of their rotation 
they come in with, you mentioned the four guys. If you're making 32 starts a year, you posted every single time. So hats off to Chris Bassett and Kevin Gosman and Jose Barrios and you say Kikuchi, especially Kikuchi and Barrios who really had, had bounce back seasons after taking a step back. But Toronto, the best rotation ERA in the American league and the offense who one of the most vaunted uh, hyped up offenses in in baseball over the last few years and and justifiably so they've put up a ton of runs before this year but last year they were fourth in the major leagues in scoring now they're 16th they're in the bottom half of the league while their run prevention jumped from 13th in the majors to fifth so they say if we could take last year's offense with this year's pitching they'd be unstoppable but to have that kind of drop off from the bats is really jarring they tried to to get a little more left-handed there coney they they traded for Dalton Varsho, who really receded offensively. This guy was looking like a real – when the trade was made, you're upgrading defensively from Varsho to – from Lourdes Gurriel Jr. to Varsho, and you had a surplus of catchers. You trade Gabriel Moreno to Arizona too. Moreno looks like a stud with Arizona. Gurriel has been good there, and Varsho has taken a step back. He's still got wheels. He's still great, great defensively, but that's looking like a whiff for Toronto, and – now they, they got Brandon belt too, and that's been a win for them. So they kind of went one for two there in, in, in adding lefty bats. But another thing with, with Toronto is you look at what they did against teams outside the division. They're right there with Baltimore and Tampa Bay, but they really struggled in the American league. East, not only going three and 10 against the Orioles, but struggling to be 500 against the Yankees and Red Sox. We've had down years. So Toronto, the last couple of years, it's been, seems a little disappointing and, they have a big chance here down the stretch these last few games and in a potential wild card round to make some noise and kind of shut up all the doubters like us here. <laughs> I'd have to check this, but I'm I'm pretty sure that the Blue Jays have a worse divisional record than the Yankees do against ALE's opponents. And yet, what, they're 17 games above 500 while, while we're recording this year. Right, um, so Blue Jays 19 and 28 against the ALE's, Yankees 21 and 29, and they're – uh, 10 to 12 games behind Baltimore and Tampa Bay in the division. Right. So uh, a, a big missed opportunity there. Yeah. Uh, I, I see how they tried to get better with uh, a left-handed presence in the lineup. They definitely got better defensively. What, what's uh, remarkable about all of this with the superior starting pitching, the surprising starting pitching, you have Bassett, Gosman, Barrios, all with at least 180 innings. Then you have Kikuchi, 162. Alec Manoa is nowhere to be found there. Their opening day starter is not included in that bunch. So it is a, a terrific season of starting pitching, but it could potentially be wasted here by this offense. So, yeah, I, I, I think we could be seeing that here. The, uh, the right-handed bats that they have, they're falling just short. Like, collectively, they're, they're failing to show up. And I tell you what, I think that segues beautifully into our Yankees chat because that is one of the things that Aaron Judge had to say after the Yankees were officially eliminated from postseason contention over the weekend. He said, guys collectively failed to show up. He said, change is needed. There are a lot of things around here that need fixing. I'm paraphrasing here. And he also said that he has some ideas for the organization's offseason from top to bottom here. This is a guy that came through the Yankees farm system. He knows the operation. He's obviously the captain, cornerstone player. He's going to be here for quite a while. Uh, I'm wondering what might some of those ideas, some of those suggestions be here from a guy like Aaron Judge? Also, David, when you were playing 
and specifically targeting the dynasty years with the Yankees. I mean, how much player input is there to the front office during the offseason? How how close is is a front office listening to the players in the clubhouse that are the cornerstone guys? Uh, more than you think, although, you know, back in my day, we could call George Steinbrenner the owner directly and, and deal with him. And uh, a lot was the case, either on your own behalf, whether you're negotiating a contract or suggestions of personnel. And, uh, um, you know, I remember talking to George Steinbrenner about Chuck Knobloch and before we made the big trade with Minnesota to, to get Knobloch. And there were some people in the Yankee organization that thought the price was too high. I think there was a lefty Eric Milton uh, pitcher, young pitcher for the Yankees that was involved in that Knobloch deal that a lot of Yankees personnel did not want to give up. And, and he ended up being a pretty decent pitcher, but Knobloch got us over the hump there in the first couple of years, especially the 98 team uh, before his throwing woes, before he kind of got the yips at the end of his career. So yes, it does matter, especially when you have somebody like Aaron judge, you're going to listen to Aaron judge. If he's got some suggestions about how you go about things, uh, you know, what type of personalities are in the clubhouse, uh, the protocol, um, whether it's uh, anything from travel to, uh, um, you know, conditioning, hitting coach. I think that's probably where it's going to center around the, the Yankees have obviously made some changes on the hitting side of things. And Sean Casey's now involved. Will he be back or not? Still kind of up in the air, but, yeah, if Aaron Judge has got something to say, I'm sure Brian Cashman's going to listen to it. I'm sure the Yankees who are charged there and in their in their organization is going to listen to it. So uh, it's more than you think. And yes, he probably does have some good ideas, and and uh, and rightly so, he should be heard from. I was surprised, you know, five ten years ago, whenever this was, uh, to see how much uh, input and, and information that these top star players. Uh, get at that level. I mean, Mike Trout would be getting the minor, the daily minor league reports that the that the coaching staff would get, and 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 he would and he would have input on on players and things that he'd see. And and I, I believe it was something similar with Bryce Harper when when he came up with Washington. But uh, to have somebody like that, of course, Judge and and on the pitching side, I imagine Garrett Cole would be in in a, in a similar sort of position there as as a as a long term cornerstone type player on the pitching side. What's the? I, I keep thinking about that, and I thought those comments were they were blunt. I think they were candid. Um, frankly, you know, no one's going to ask me my opinion. I think they were needed. You know, you want to hear a player like Aaron Judge give his honest assessment there. He obviously didn't go too deep with the details. He's going to save that for the people that really need to hear them. But I thought it was it was good candor. It was it was healthy candor there from from Aaron Judge. I know not every player around baseball can offer that type of input here, but is there enough player input, cornerstone input, those franchise players? Are they are they being listened to enough in this day and age? What do you think? You really have to be on the inside to see for sure. But the real rub here is player acquisition. You know, is there input in that department? Because that's probably the most important one. You know, we could talk all of all we want about hitting philosophy or travel arrangements or clubhouse atmosphere or different roles in the clubhouse. But if you're actually giving recommendations on who to go get, which players to acquire, that's a different level. And that's what I talked about that we had with George Steinbrenner back in the day. And that, that was a big deal because he listened. That's what he wanted. He wanted to know, 
you know, uh, the information from players. Who do you know? Who do you like? What about this guy? What about that guy? And I know that, uh, you know, a, a lot of times before trades made, I'm sure that Brian Cashman's gone to Aaron Judge and, says, and said, hey, we have a chance to get a Harrison Bader or somebody like that in trades that have happened. What do you think? What do you know about this guy? So I know there's due diligence that's being done on that part. But what about what do you think? Who we should go get in the free agency market? Who should we acquire in the trade market? And I think the Yankees to big trucks this offseason in terms of maybe even trading contracts. Who knows? You know, I think all bets are on the table for the Yankees as far as this goes. And how much would Aaron Judge be involved in that? You know, hey, we have a chance to trade this contract for that contract. What do you, what do you think about this guy? What do you think about this thought? Uh, when you get into player acquisition, that's a different level. And uh, that's when you start taking note. And I think Aaron Judge is, is, deserves that as well. He deserves to know and have input on, you know, what the team's going to look like next year. Unfortunately, the uh, 2023 Yankee timeline is going to possibly intensify over the next 10 days or so, but not for the reasons we all thought, not for postseason reasons, uh, in playoff reasons. They're, they have a, a lot to get to in the eyes of their captain. Uh, guys, a week from now, we're going to be right in the start of the playoffs. It's going to be an exciting time, and we're, we're going to have all this sorted out between the wild card and the AL West race. It's going to be a great weekend. And through it all, I confidently believe that David Cohn's going to get his iPad back. So uh, by the time we have our, our next episode here to start the, the postseason, Coney, I think you'll have that iPad back at, uh, at LaGuardia Airport. Yes, yes. Hope somebody in the LGA lost and found office is a towing with the slab fan. Maybe, maybe they've seen watched the Yankee game and they heard about it. So you never know the power of the Yankees. That's right. The power of the world too. There are good people in this world, even at airports. I confidently believe that. All right, guys, that's going to wrap it up here for this week's episode. Please, please, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. So you do not miss a single thing that we are rolling out there each and every week on Toe in the Slab, pitching with David Cohn. For Coney, for James Smythe, I'm Justin Jackal. Of course, our, produ our terrific producer, Dan Work, doing mostly the uh, hard stuff behind the scenes. We really appreciate him, and we appreciate you listening here. Tune in to the next episode next time, right at the start of the postseason, Toe in the Slab, pitching with David Cohn, a production of John Boy Media. Take care, everybody. Hey, everybody. It's Talking Jake here, and I want to tell you about a new podcast and video series you're not going to want to miss. The Deal. Every week, A-Rod and Bloomberg reporter Jason Kelly speak with big-time athletes, entertainers, executives, Maria Sharapova, Strahan, Jeter, and more. The Deal takes you behind the scenes into those worlds of sports, media, and entertainment. From Bloomberg Podcasts and Bloomberg Originals, you can listen to The Deal on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts.